are used to, aren't we, or we are familiar with uh, documentaries or, or TV programs about language, you know, the sort of thing, you know, they'll be on, I don't know, BBC4, something like that, late at night, uh, there'll be a program about Shakespeare or something like that, and how uh, language or phrases that Shakespeare uh, coined are still current and are still used, right, that sort of thing. Well, this morning, we come a portion of scripture that is so kind of well-known, isn't it? I mean, it's so familiar that language from here, from Acts chapter 9, it still permeates modern speech, doesn't it? You know, um, let's say somebody will say of someone else's realization of something, they will say, oh, see that moment? That was where the person had their Damascus Road experience. Yeah? Or somebody might say of themselves, uh, of their own point of realization, oh, see that, that point there, that was when I saw the light, that sort of thing. Well, the wonderful thing about God's Word, the Bible, is that no matter how familiar we might be with these verses, no matter how well you know Acts chapter 9, great thing, God can still speak to us this morning through these verses. So with a sense of genuine expectancy, you know, a sense of anticipation. Let's pick up our Bibles and let's turn to Acts chapter 9. And this morning, we'll keep it simple. We'll, we'll have just two main sort of overarching headings, okay? Not the three headings or four headings, just the two main things, okay? And the first one's this. It is the conversion of Saul. The conversion of Saul. And the first thing that I want us to think about there is what Scripture tells us about what Saul was like, okay? What we learn here about what Saul was like. Now, I don't know who might uh, spring to mind if I was to ask you to think about a baddie, a bad guy from TV, okay? Who would you go with? You might go old school with your, your baddies. You might think of, I don't know, Darth Vader, um, or you might go even older than that and go for sort of old, uh, what's his name, Goldfinger, something that might be a bit more up to date. It might be Kevin Spacey's character from House of Cards. He's a baddie. So it might be that. But regardless of who it is that we think of, they are not as bad as the early chapters of Acts show us that this guy, Saul, was. Do you remember what we've seen about Saul? We've seen that this guy that we are concentrating on today was one bad dude, okay? Remember what we saw? I mean, he was the guy that oversaw the execution of Stephen. Remember they laid their cloaks at Saul's feet? And he's the guy, this guy here today, he's the guy who's banging off doors and dragging off women who are Christians and throwing them in jail. You see? He's a wicked man. And do you know what the key word in verse 1 is? Have a look. It's the word still. You see, Saul is still breathing out murderous threats, even just before his conversion. He is still antagonistic towards the church. In fact, what we want you to do is think about, you know that guy Edward Snowden? You've heard about him, seen him in the news, right? Well, look what Paul does here. Paul seeks extradition. 
doesn't he? Because he goes to the high priest and he wants permission from the high priest to travel all the way from Jerusalem to Damascus. So we're talking about, if you're walking it, you know, you're talking about a six-day walk. Saul wants permission to go all the way up there to grab Christians and to bring them back and to throw them in jail. Now, here's the thing. We're going to move fast this morning through a lot of material. But I do want us to pause here and think about this. See, Saul, we know people like Saul, don't we? I mean, celebrities, maybe you could say the liberal elite, maybe people in our homes, maybe people in our workplace. We know guys like this. We know people who are hostile to Christianity. We know people who actually seem to love hating Christianity, right? People who are dedicated. Like, think about how dedicated Saul was to travel all that way just to persecute the church, all the way to Damascus. We know people who are dedicated to hating Christ and to hating his gospel. What we've got to start out with here, when we're thinking about Saul and this great and awesome thing that happens, we've got to realize this guy we're dealing with he was one of those people. So he's enthusiastically persecuting the church. We get that. He gets his extradition papers. He's off to Damascus on a believer hunt. But then have a look. Let's think about this. He's a few days into the journey. He's approaching where he needs to be. He's, he's nearing Damascus and something happens. Now we've thought about what Saul was like. I want us now to think about what it was that Saul experienced here on this road. And I guess what we can do is you can kind of break it into two. There seems to be, doesn't there, two sides to what happens to, to Saul on the Damascus road. Because first of all, we're told, look at verse 3. We're told that suddenly a light shone around him. Okay, a light. Now, I don't want us to get this light wrong Okay, so Saul, this was not a sort of momentary reflection from a, I don't know, a passing Ford Fiesta on the, uh, on the road to Damascus. You know, it wasn't sort of something like that. Do you see what we're told? We're told that this light shone around him. The Bible also tells us later on that this light that he experiences here was brighter, get this, brighter than the midday sun. And what do we know? about light like that. What does what have we seen that scripture tells us about light like that? It is often associated with theophany. It is often associated, light like this, with the presence of God. And that's just confirmed, isn't it, by the second thing that happens. Do you see that? He also hears a voice. He sees the light, but he hears a voice. And the voice says, verse 5, I am Jesus. Do you see what is happening here? See this beast of a bloke? This horrible, horrendous, wicked sinner. He has been confronted on this road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus, by the risen and exalted Son of God. You see it? But really, I, I, I just want to pause at that um, just for a moment. And I want us to notice, I suppose you could say by way of tangent, what it is exactly 
that Jesus says to Saul. He says, I am Jesus. But I want us to think about what exactly he says, because it's crucial. Of course, it's crucial. Now, do you see it? So it's verse 4. Saul, why do you persecute me? Do you not find that very, very strange? Is that phrase not a bit weird? Do you see what he doesn't say? You know, to this guy who's traveling all the way up to Damascus to effectively have Christians brought back and chucked in jail, to this guy who's attacking all these people, Jesus doesn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting these people? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He stops Saul and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you see it? If you're a Christian, does that not convict us immediately of our sin? Does that not convict us of our entirely inappropriate attitude to suffering Christians overseas? We should be praying for these people, the persecuted church. Why? Well, not just because they're our brothers and sisters, as we have seen before, but we should be praying for the persecuted church because so closely does Jesus associate himself with their suffering. Now, get this. Those attacks today in Kenya, those attacks in Nigeria, in Syria, in Mosul, in Iraq, those are attacks on the very person of Jesus Christ himself. Why do you persecute me? But let's get back to the, the big picture. What's the big picture here? What's Acts all about? Acts 9. Saul sees the radiance of God's glory, doesn't he? I mean, Saul hears here the, the voice of God, and what happens to Saul? He's saved, doesn't he? Isn't that the big picture? Here in Acts 9, in this portion of Scripture, this man Saul, who, let's face it, is going to paint so much of the New Testament picture, is here, right here, that his sin is taken, and he is saved. That's the big picture. But I guess, I guess there's a problem here with this. And I guess there is something for us that we must wrestle with in Saul's conversion, isn't there? Because I'm sure you would agree with me in this, that the misunderstanding of Acts, this portion of Scripture here, has led to huge confusion, hasn't it, amongst Christians? That this episode here, Saul and the Damascus Road, the misunderstanding of it, has led to a lack of assurance for many, many people, hasn't it? You know, people, Christians, read this, these verses here, and they think, well, hang on a second. I didn't have this. I mean, I didn't have a big, stonking, dramatic conversion like this with, with light and, and voices. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not really saved. What we have to wrestle with is whether we, what we've got here in Acts chapter 9 should be seen as the normative experience in conversion. Do you see what I mean? When we're saved, should we expect this? This sort of dramatic conversion. I'll tell you this. See the answer? The answer is maybe not what you think the answer is going to be. 
Should we expect something like this? No. And yes. You see, no, of course, on one, on one hand, the answer is no. You know, if it was one of our sort of fellowship lunches that we have um, every month, and we've got Marianne and Catherine and a few other people to go around and with a survey of everyone, and we asked all the members of the congregation how it was that they came to Jesus Christ. I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that not all that many of us would say that we had a Damascus Road experience, you know? Isn't that right? It's not really what the Bible even prepares us for. I'm not sure many of us would claim to have this dramatic conversion that usually comes over time, right? So on one hand, you see, no, we should not expect this. But hear this. On the other hand, there is something that we're reading off here that is necessary and it is an essential element of all true conversion to Jesus Christ. Because you see, what we've got with Saul here is a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, you see that, don't you? You see that that's what, what Acts 9 is all about. Acts 9 is Jesus confronting the sinner. It is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, calling the sinner by name Saul, Saul, and calling him into a relationship with him. And what is of utmost importance that we see this morning is that for any conversion to Christ to be real and meaningful and lasting, it's got to be like this. It has to involve an encounter and a relationship with Jesus Christ. It has to. And so with that, let me round this heading off with two questions very simple questions. The first one I ask to you, if you are a Christian, see, when you read this, do you believe that this can happen in here today? Such a dramatic conversion as this, do you believe that this could happen today? Do you believe that those people so antagonistic to Jesus Christ that we know do you believe that they can be changed like that by the power of God? Because let me tell you, that can happen. It can by the power of God. This that we read off here can happen even this morning. And then the second question is to you, if you are not a believer, let me tell you, has this that you read off here, has this happened to you? I'm not talking about these big booming voice of Jesus. And I'm not talking about this great, fantastic light. But I mean the essence of what we've got there. Has it happened to you? Have you encountered Jesus Christ? Have you been confronted by the Lord? You know, perhaps gently, yeah, okay. Through his word. Is this perhaps even happening to you? You may be sitting there thinking, I see it, see that beast of a man, the sin there, I recognize that in myself. I want this, this confrontation with Christ. I want to be saved. What do I do? If you are asking that, can I say to you, 
Surely the main thing of Acts chapter 9 is that conversion is all of Jesus, isn't it? It is all of Christ. All you need to do is fall in surrender, in repentance, before the saving grace of God. We see the conversion, the conversion of Saul. Now, I'm going on holiday uh, this coming week. And the first thing that I sort out when we're going on holiday uh, is my sat-nav. You know, because, you know, let's face it, usually in a couple, in a, in a marriage, you've got one person who's got a great sense of direction and you've got the other person who's got a hopeless sense of direction. Well, actually, in our uh, relationship, it is not like that. And neither of us. Uh, have a sense of direction at all so we always get a sat nav on the go and of course because we've got so much experience with sat navs we know what they do a sat nav does not just tell you when you're going the wrong way a sat nav does not just turn tell you to turn around the sat nav does what it also tells you what is the correct direction to go in right well that's what we've got in Acts chapter 9 Because what we've got to see here is that this chapter of Scripture is not just a turning around of Saul. It is not just the conversion of Saul. There is more here because Saul in Acts chapter 9 is also given the correct direction of travel. So our second heading here, we've seen the the conversion of Saul. The second heading is the commissioning of Saul. The commissioning of Saul. Of Saul, and there's a few things that we just need to note here. First of all, think think about this one with me. See that the commissioning here is very, very similar to what happens to a lot of Old Testament saints. Do you see what what I mean by that? Like, take what happened on the road to Damascus, all this stuff that we're reading of the light, the noise, and all that. Okay, take that. And compare it with, let's say, who we go for. Let's say Moses. How well do you know your Bible? Uh, Do you know how Moses was called or commissioned? Do you remember it? It was the burning bush. It's burning bush. Appearance of God and the voice of God calling him into action. Similar to Saul. Then compare it with Isaiah. Remember Isaiah 6 and his calling and commissioning? You know, there's this great scene of God, the voice of God, very similar to what we see here. So Saul is converted, but also in the manner of Old Testament saints, he is also called into action. So it's similar to other callings. Another thing to notice is the skepticism of Ananias. Do you see that? Read it, the skepticism of Ananias. Now, I'm going to contradict what I just said a moment ago. I said that uh, the vast majority of, of Christians are called to Christ in a sort of very gradual way. Isn't that right? Um, it wasn't like that for me. Um, I came to Christ. I remember my early 20s, the night that Christ confronted me. And I became a Christian. 
And as I've said to this, some of the young people before, my first port of call, you know, after I had prayed, bowed, after I'd seen the light, if you like, was to go through to my parents' bedroom. I was sort of staying with them on a holiday. And it was the early hours of the morning, okay? <laughs> so after midnight, and I was jumping for joy, you know? And I sort of go through, knock on the door, open it up, like, Dad, Dad, I get it, you know? I'm saved, praise the Lord, Dad. And uh, my poor old man, you know, he, he'd been sleeping, and uh, he sort of just looked up from his cover and sort of looked over and says, oh, you're saved, are you? Tell you what, Andy, you go to bed and we'll see if you're still saved in the morning, you know? And he was understandably sort of cynical, skeptical about the whole thing. Well, look what we've got here with Ananias. Because Ananias, is, 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 he's the same. See, when we read through, did you notice that Jesus does not just appear to Saul? There's a second vision. There's two visions of Jesus here. He appears to Ananias, and in that vision in verse 10, we've got the startling knowledge of Christ. Because Christ tells Ananias not only what street to go to, not only what house to go to, he tells him what guy to go to, he tells him what that guy will be doing when he gets there, that he will be praying. But notice the guy's skepticism. I mean, Ananias, even after all this, he's like, Jesus, you want me to do what? Jesus, you, you want me to go to find the guy who is coming to Damascus to try and find me, to arrest me and throw me into, you want me to go to him? That, yeah, Jesus did. Jesus reiterates the instruction, and then, friends, we get to verse 15. And verse 15, in my humble opinion, is one of the great verses. It is one of the high points of the New Testament. Because there Jesus gives Ananias the details of Saul's God-given commission. We get what Jesus wants Saul to do. So I'm going to read it. If your Bibles are open, please look at it with me. So it's verse 15. And think about how this shapes the rest of the New Testament. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, do you see what we have got there? We've got this beast, this wicked, sinful man, this now newly converted man. And he, what's he called by Jesus? A chosen instrument. See what it means? It means before Saul was born. It means before the, there was any life on the earth, Jesus had identified Saul for this task. And what was the task? To whom was he called? Yeah, we get it. He's called to the people of Israel. He's called to kings. But do you see there is something radical, something new that we have not encountered in Acts before? Do you see it? Saul is called to go to the Gentile world with the gospel for the first thing. This is huge, this calling. And then note to what he is called. Now you're going to say, Andy, I know what he's called. To what he's called. He's called to go and preach the gospel. That's not what I mean. Look at the end of the verse. To what is he called? He's called to suffer for Jesus' name. Now here is how we close. 
See that first heading we looked at. Although there was much in the conversion of Saul that is kind of unique to Saul, wasn't there? There was still that point that was applicable to us. Well, do you see that in the second heading here too, although there is much in the calling and the commissioning of Saul that is entirely unique to this guy, there is also much that is relevant to us. Because if there is one point I want you to take away today, it's this. If you're a Christian, your salvation is more than a conversion. It is more than a conversion to Jesus Christ. We are called by Christ. Yes, we are. But do you see that as a Christian, we are called into something. We are called into a mission. We are called into a task. Like a great sat-nav as a Christian, we are not just turned by Christ, but we are shown what direction we should be taken. And just like Saul, guess what? We too are God's chosen instruments. Every time we get to this point, it blows my mind. Think about this. Before God created anything, God would have had, he'd have known. So God has billions and billions and billions of people envisaged in the great divine mind, right? And out of those billions of people, what does he do? He selects a few to be his messengers. And what did he do? He chose you. He chose you to do this. And you see, like Saul, we also have a particular mission field. He's called primarily go to Gentiles. Tell them this. We are called to certain people. You want another thought to blow your mind? Before the beginning of the world, God identified certain people to be saved and to be saved by your witness. Isn't that something? And then last of all, like Saul, our calling involves suffering. Because what happens when you become a Christian? You go from being a persecutor to being persecuted. Suddenly, you now bear not only the name of Jesus Christ, but you, like him, bear a cross too. But I want to finish with this. See the suffering involved in your commission. It is worth every scar, isn't it? I mean, it is worth every bit of humiliation and every bad word. Why? Because maybe if we obey the calling of Jesus Christ, we might be able to experience what Ananias experiences as he goes in and he sees scales fall. And he is now able to greet someone in those beautiful dear words of verse 17 where he simply says brother Saul isn't it lovely friends Acts 9 is about the conversion of Saul and we should rejoice because of that but it is also about his calling and commissioning friends we should pray that many others because of 
our calling and obedience to our commissioning may see on their way the risen and exalted and glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you.